Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Boomeranging. My name is Simone Pregelio, and I've been the co-producer on this podcast with my friend Margot Anderson since last year. We wanted to do something a little different today. I'm normally the one writing the questions, not asking the questions, but we thought we'd turn the mic around and start out by asking Margot a bit more about her why, the why behind the podcast and the why behind starting the InSync Network group. I first met Margot back in 2012. I'd lived in Singapore for a number of years and I'd returned to live in Melbourne. And like many expats that we've spoken to, I just felt a bit awkward. And for those first couple of months, I spent a lot of time at Margot's kitchen bench, drinking a lot of wine and talking about my feelings. And no doubt Margot over the years has done that for many, many, many repats. In 2018, she formalised her uh, kitchen bench chat and her uh, wine service into the InSync Network Group, which is really a community designed to support expats returning home and helping them connect both personally and professionally with what life looks like back in Australia. So today we thought we'd ask a little bit more about Margot's why, why she decided to create the group and why she decided to create this podcast. So this is awkward, but hi Margot and welcome to your own podcast. Thanks Simone. It is indeed quite different. I feel like we should be sitting around the kitchen bench with a glass of wine in our hand. (laughs) I know. It feels very unnatural to be doing this while I'm in Sydney and you're in Melbourne um, with no wine, no cheese, no (laughs) chat. (laughs) That's okay. Let's go with it. Here we are. So the InSync Network Group and the Boomerang Podcast came about in the last couple of years after you spending a number of times with expats who've experienced the similar kind of thing. But why did you decide to do that? And like, I know that you've decided to go down this path because of your own experience. So mm-hmm. what was that experience and what led you to start thinking that there's a space for something like InSync? Well, to share a little bit about my story and how it came to be, I went to London in 1999, really with the view that it would be a bit of a career break and I would spend quite a lot of that time in that year travelling. Um, so that was the motivation. And then I think after the second year of deciding to stay on, you know, it very much became a bit more career focused and the tables sort of turned on on the reason as to why I stayed. So when I left Australia, I was a teacher. I was teaching in a place called Toowoomba, which is just west of uh, Brisbane in Queensland. And I was really fortunate because I could be guaranteed my job back. I could take three years leave. And so I was quite confident in going and often having this little bit of a jaunt. And I I had a year of travelling and doing some supply teaching. And then the second year, I was sitting down with my consultant saying, look, I think I'm going to try something a little bit different. I really want to, you know, be serious about my career if I'm staying on. And very quickly that conversation evolved into, well, why don't you come and work for us? 
And so I guess my foray into business was really via recruitment, and that was recruitment of international teachers and placing them into the English um, system. Fast forward to the third year, I needed sponsorship to stay, uh, and I caught up with an ex-colleague, and and she had moved to a big consulting firm, and they were um, acquiring education firms. And so it seemed to be quite a nice marriage and fit. And so I joined them and it was in a a consulting role. But very quickly, my career took off with that bigger organisation and I moved into the world of operations and became an operations manager and director. And it was all around talent management and it was in a sphere that I knew, um, which was education. And, And so I enjoyed this incredible career trajectory, but at the same time got to enjoy all the you know, lovely things about being close to Europe and travel and satisfying, I guess, that, you know, appetite. And I just fell in love with life in London. You know, I was, you know, had a great job. I had huge scope, great opportunity, was meeting people from all corners of the globe. I came from a family that travelled and was quite mobile. Um, so, was nothing for them to come to London for a holiday. So I um, I really enjoyed showing them around. And in fact, when um, it was time to come home, I think they were the ones that were more shocked or more um, anxious about it than me because they were losing their London pad in the process. I believe that was your mother who was the most disappointed. Yes. <laughs> so I had to say to her, do you actually want me to come home? <laughs> um, and of course, she was like, of course I do. Of course I do. So um, yeah. <laughs> um, Um, I guess how my repatriation came to be was that I was, so I'd been away for seven years. So one year became seven, essentially. And I had sort of started to think, okay, um, I've had this amazing time. I've delivered some great results professionally. Um, What's next? And the company that I was working for um, sort of made no secret of the fact that I was a succession hire for a regional role. But I had had about six months, 12 months thinking, actually, I think Australia might be calling. And so I decided that I would follow that calling and go, okay, no, I've got some great skills and it's time to come back to Australia. So I returned to Melbourne in 2005. So you turned down a regional role and a career Mm -hmm. path and you returned to Melbourne, a place that you'd never lived Mm -hmm. in before and you didn't have a gig. How was it for the first couple of months? Oh, look, it was a it was a combin a real combination of emotions. I mean, I I was very clear on my why for coming back, and that was, um, you know, lifestyle. Um, I felt like I ha- I was armed with this incredible, you know, um, suite of skills and knowledge. Um, I was ready to sort of step into a career and a role here, not thinking for one minute just how hard that would be. So whilst I came to a new city um, and a new state, there were many great things about that because in a sense it was almost like the adventure continued a little bit. Um, It was in somewhere else new to explore. I stepped back into a network, not a big network, but a small network of people who had lived overseas. And I was incredibly grateful at the time to have them, but I'm possibly even more grateful today for what that um, gave me in terms of my transition. And that was a real understanding and I think empathy around what those challenges look like um, when you return. I also had a sister in Melbourne, so I had some family here, which was wonderful. And so I connected socially fairly quickly with a group of people who I always say, I got it when it came to moving lives and careers um, around the country and around the world. What I didn't anticipate was just how 
how much of a struggle uh, finding my next role would be. And I would suggest that I was very naive um, coming back. I hadn't done any preparation. I had seen my career unfold quite organically and naturally in the UK and I probably to some extent didn't have any reason to think that it wouldn't do that here. I wasn't looking for a role necessarily at the the same level. I knew that I might have to compromise so I was prepared for that. What I wasn't prepared for was just how many coffees it would take, how many almost eye rolls I'd encounter Um, and I think you know, I was really surprised what I felt was a lack of curiosity around what I'd done and how that could translate. So I had to really quickly learn how to position my experience. You know, I came up against all of the common objections that I hear expats today talk about, which was, well, where's your local Australian experience? Well, when I left Australia seven years earlier, I was in a different profession and in a different state. (laughs) Um, So it didn't translate even naturally from before I left, let alone with what I'd been doing. I've always worked in the world of consulting. So um, one of the attractive things is when you move companies is that you bring a book of clients to the table. I didn't have any of those. So I was really starting from scratch. And I was also coming from an industry that really largely didn't exist here in Australia. I mean, the world of consulting and talent management, advisory, recruitment, et cetera, in the education sphere as an, at an external consulting level just wasn't mature here. It just didn't happen. So I really had to think about translating that, that skill set. And it took a long time. It took a long time and a lot of disappointments. A couple of things stand out when you tell your story that I see have evolved into the InSync Network Group. And the the first one is the fact that you fell into this friendship group of people who had had similar mm-hmm. experiences and how powerful that had been in terms of how quickly you adapted back into uh, um, back into Australia was the power of the network of like-minded individuals. And the second thing that stood out from your experience that I could see then evolved into um, the InSync Network Group is is the challenge of translating your career, particularly when you come back, as you say, to a market that may not have had mm. people who did leadership and development in the education space. So you're coming back to a market where that skill set, mm. there's no demand for it because mm. it doesn't exist. And so many experts we speak to have had roles that literally do not exist in Australia and they've had to come back and really pivot from that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I talk about reshaping your career all the time. Um, And, you know, for many, you know, they might come from industries that are here, but the scale of of what they've been doing in Asia or in Europe or, or somewhere else doesn't exist. And so people here can hear about what you've done and go, oh, that's amazing, but we don't have that here. You know, we, you, well, we don't have anything that big here. And so they completely dismiss it. So I think when we tell our story, what we've got to learn to do is to help people connect the dots as to why it's relevant. And, and I mean, that was a major learning for me. And I know that when I first um, started work here, the way that came to be is I met somebody who owned a, a private business um, and it was in the world of recruitment and HR consulting. And he was a former expat. So when I sat down to meet with him, it was a very different conversation because he could understand like almost whilst he hadn't been in London or in the UK, he could understand what it meant to come out of an industry or um, a scale, um, an organisation of scale and have to translate that back here. 
And, you know, he said to me, you know, after a number of interviews, you know, I, I really love what you've done. And he said, I have no idea what to do with you, but do you but come and join us? And I almost felt like my ears come, I'm sorry, my shoulders come down from my ears because I was like, oh my gosh, somebody who gets, gets it and who gets me. And I thought, okay, I think I might have uh, more opportunity to rebuild or to reshape my career inside that organisation. And so I took the leap at the time. But that that also doesn't mean that that wasn't without its challenges. You know, it um, it definitely took me a while to get under the skin of it. So you come back in 2005. Uh, socially, you find your, your crew of like-minded individuals. Professionally, it takes you a while, but you eventually get there by joining a consultancy with another mm-hmm. like-minded expat. You don't start in sync until 2018. So what happened in those years that really consolidated your experience to think mm. I should expand this into something more than just uh, my experiences? It was a bit of a journey. You know, I I had a number of roles um, with firms uh, in the world of HR consulting and then I was involved in starting a business and then I've now got my own business, which really works in the area of career management and leadership. So I go into organisations and I do a lot of, as you said, uh, training programs, executive coaching programs, and I guess, you know, planning around, workforce planning around the, the talent piece. And so I meet an extraordinary amount of people. And invariably, you know, if I was running a training session, um, you know, you tell a bit of your story, people would come up to me afterwards and they'd be like, yeah, great session. But anyway, how, how did you actually make that work for you, that transition coming back from overseas? Because that's me. You know that, uh, or that's my mate, or um, you know we've we've been back two years and we're still you know f- f- trying to find our feet. And I just found that I was collecting people. I was like a magnet to people with these experiences. And I guess you know, I, like me, yeah, <laughs> I, I had a very much an open <laughs> ear for the conversations too, um, because I you know I knew it and I knew how hard it was. And in essence, when I'd ask people to share their story. Um, you know, what I'd hear, and often they wouldn't use these words, but was disconnection and loneliness and loss of challenge or loss of stimulation um, professionally or personally. You know, people were really struggling with finding their place. And, you know, it's a massive challenge to your sense of self-confidence and identity and self-worth when you're really sort of trying to work out where do I actually belong? And, you know, it was interesting because that was with people who returned as part of organisations. So, you know, just having a role to come back to doesn't eliminate the challenge of repatriation. Um, It was with people who were trying to engage with the market um, and finding that difficult. And it was with people who were trying to kickstart their career again. So, you know, I think those feelings just underpin a lot of it. Um, And so I thought, look, this is just mad. Why do you think people don't talk about it? Um, I know when I came back, you are going through these emotions, but it's almost like I came back with a role. Everyone expects you're Australian moving back to Australia. You have a role. You know, no one wants to hear your complaints or the the feeling of discomfort that you have because it, it was very hard for other people to really mm. appreciate. So there wasn't, hence why I ended up at your kitchen bench so many oftentimes because you, you understood. Yeah. But why do you think? A lot of people don't talk about it. Uh, I think there's a host of reasons. I think firstly, it's incredibly personal and you're trying to work it out in your head too and to navigate it. Um, And you've got to be a bit vulnerable telling your story. And so if you've attempted to tell it a few times and 
it hasn't been received or, you know, there's been the eye roll or there's been the, oh, yeah, it's tough, but just get on with it. You learn not to tell it. And so I think sometimes it takes finding people who've lived the experience before to create that space for a conversation. And often it's not a conversation, it's not a woe is me conversation. It's actually about you're actively seeking out ideas and strategies and connections to work it out. And so I think finding like-minded people is often the challenge. And so people don't tell their story until they, they find them. Well, I noticed in our first series, we obviously spoke to six different expats with very different mm. personal stories. But there were a number of things that um, stood out as common, which is that feeling of disconnection when they come back. What are the other things that stood out for you um, personally about what was really common amongst all those very different stories that we that we heard? Oh, there's, there was so many not along moments. You know, I personally had these not along moments and we had some extraordinary emails and, um, you know, calls and conversations Um from others who nodded along. And I think, um, you know, there were definitely a couple of things. I mean, I think, you know, Jane Holman's issues or challenges around navigating recruiters and employers um, and telling her story and basically being told, you know, I, there is no there is no role for you at that senior end of the market. You've been out of the country for too long. And just point blank being told that. That's a challenge that people encounter. I think Glenn Folting sharing the story about as a family, I mean, he had his family overseas. He was gone for 18 years, um, relocated back to Brisbane. The sense of grief um, around that transition, and I think that's very common. Like there gets a point where you go, is it done? Is it over? And what's the next chapter look like so you have to as he said create you know your new your new reality not just come back to reality as everyone kept telling him um I think Ben Deguara's openness around the anxiety that he felt about coming back to Australia really resonated and you know he's now done that twice because he boomeranged again and just how he prepared a second time and I think that there are people who have done it, you know, multiple times or are thinking about going, you know, again when our world opens up. There, there were just so many moments. Mandy, you know, shared um, that, you know, as a family, uh, you know, the expatriate life affects different members of the family in different ways and at different times. And so the importance of checking in from the youngest to the oldest or, you know, the parents and the children, you know, making sure that they are all included um, or their feelings are recognised through that process. You know, Jan talked about, you know, um, coming back and, and, you know, basically feeling as though what was a natural story to tell to, you know, say, the big banks because she that was her world, just didn't translate and or they weren't interested and so how she navigated I guess the startup world and how they've embraced her her skill sets and for a lot of people who've worked in the world of transformation and you know change that is a very real opportunity but it takes networks to do that so therefore it takes time and I think that's the other thing that really resonated was you know, nobody stepped up off the plane and two weeks later they were like, you know, yeah, this is great. You know, it's all it's all smooth, it's all easy. So for some people it was six months, for some people it was two years. But I think that that, that definitely took time. I mean, Bryce Corbett also shared some really interesting things around, you know, he left Australia as a gossip journalist and then he went on and had this extraordinary career, mainly in Paris, um, as a director of communications. Um and, you know, inter- with the International Chamber of Commerce and, you know, coming back and people are like, oh, you know, Bryce, that gossip columnist is back in town. 
And, you know, all of a sudden he was like, gosh, I really have to think about how do I share my story with people. So I think there were some, you know, there were different things in people's stories that just definitely created those, as I call them, not along moments. <laughs> yeah, in the next series, we have a group of people who, while have a lot in common with the first series, have something really unique in that a number of them came back during COVID. So I know, I think we'll appreciate mm, mm. that coming back from overseas often is something that people think about over months, even years before they actually do that, um, mm. particularly for people who've lived mm. overseas for a large chunk of time, 10 plus years. But there's a number of people last year, thousands, who had to come home probably on expedited timeframes um, and not when they wanted to but mm. when they needed to. And we certainly spoke to a couple of people. So what, from your observations, what are the main challenges that this returning group of repats have over people returning in a normal year? Yeah, and, and I think what it does is it just adds another layer um, of complexity and challenge and, you know, for some very real cost. You know, um, we know that there were 400,000 Aussies that came back last year. There are 40,000 still overseas today that are trying to get back. And the logistics of trying to manage that is extraordinary. So, you know, we've heard about people who said, look, we realised in March that we, were, we needed to come home, um, but it took us till November to get home. And that, that was with extraordinary effort and focus to make that happen, you know, flights being cancelled. And, and I think one of the things that we really have to remember for people doing that is that some people were on their way home for, you know, could have been weddings, it could have been a holiday, it could have been, okay, I needed to come home for a family reason and they got caught here um, and they couldn't return. So all of a sudden they're packing up lot, lives overseas from here You've got um, people who just logistically, you know, had six, eight flights cancelled, you know, that, that mm. just is just, that's so traumatic in its own right. And you do that with a family and, and they're relocating, you know, lives, you know, they're not, they weren't backpackers running around a country on a holiday. They, these people had mm. whole lives. They had kids in schools, leases, contracts, you know, everything to negotiate. So the stress that these people have often endured in getting home and being home is really is really tough. And I think that, you know, if you arrived home last year, you know, big parts of the country were in lockdown. I mean, I'm in Melbourne, so we were we had a very strict lockdown for much of last year. And the people that I've spoken to returning here, they couldn't just pop out and have a coffee or a beer with, you know, their old connections, let alone try and make new connections. So that ability to connect has been really slowed down. And that's both personally and professionally. You know, I think that there is a sense of real consciousness around how they tell their story here. I mean, a lot of people are being, they are incredibly grateful to be back and to enjoy the relative safety and freedoms that we have here. But they're constantly being told, well, you should be grateful. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, well, I am grateful. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I'm not, um, but there are challenges that come with that. And, you know, at no point do any of us go and live overseas thinking that our right as Australians will be taken away in being able to return when we want to. Um, and there's a lot of rhetoric in the media at the moment that is really, mm. really negative. And that, I think, is just causing a lot of stress and trauma for people. You know, naturally, there's been big implications on employment life cycles and, you know, hiring people. Um, so a lot of that's been slowed down for people trying to enter the market. You know, if you've had to come home, 
there might be two dual income earners in a household that now are no, not yeah. earning anything. Um, so the stress of navigating the market is really, really intense. And I think that there are, you know, parts of uh, or ramifications that we are yet to see. You know, there's a lot of grief and shock and you know, trauma, I don't think is too strong a word to talk about what's emerging out of people returning during this time. Do you think people underestimate the impact that that does have on, I guess, your mental health. I know for for me when I came back and I didn't certainly do it in a COVID year and I did it with planning, but you're so focused on the logistics that when you come back, that's probably what shocks you is that it isn't as easy as you thought and you can distract yourself with mm. logistics in, in the interim. Um, but then, the, you know, once you fully unpack, you've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All well, the reality sets in, doesn't it? You know, very, very quickly. And I think that is a very, very um, common experience for people is that they're so busy getting home, getting themselves home, kids into schools, dogs and pets and whatever home, finding a house, transferring the money, you know, all of those things, which are all really important things and cause a lot of stress if they don't go well or they don't go smoothly. But they are logistics that can be resolved um, with the right advice and, and, a, and a little bit of time. What is, I think, really confronting is the is the other areas of professional and social and you know if you have enough knocks to your confidence or enough rejections and applications you know it just chips away at your um, sense of confidence and as I say um, identity and self-worth so I think anxiety and mental health is a massive consideration for people around how they manage that during this period of time and I think also you know it comes as a shock because we're returning to a place we know it's not like we're going to um, a new assignment somewhere in a country we've never lived or to a new country. We expect there to be challenges when we do that. We do all the research around the language and, you know, all those things that we need to do. We're coming back to a country that we've lived in very successfully before we've gone and we know it. We know how everything works. And so we don't anticipate it being difficult. And I think for many of us there's a little yeah. bit of returning home, oh, she'll be right, mate. The old Aussie psyche kicks in and when it's not right or when you are feeling really lonely or disconnected or, you know, just stuck, you feel stuck, that's really confronting, a really confronting piece to navigate. On top of that, a number of the guests that we spoke to who've returned due to COVID have had to really to pivot their career and I think, you know, now we're probably dealing with more numbers over the last year than you would in a normal year um, of that returning repat mm -hmm. and we've got these people that we've spoken to have had amazing overseas careers and they're having what many people have experienced is challenge translating their career in the market mm -hmm. and you are hearing a lot more of expats coming back and through not being able to find a role starting up their own business or starting up a consultancy or really pivoting their mm -hmm. career completely on its head and doing something completely different and what's always really struck me is that Expats tend to be the people who have enough get up and go to go overseas, start afresh and start anew, and then have to do it when they come home. Why isn't Australia embracing more of this innovation? Why are, are so many of these expats having trouble with the local market mm. who don't want, seem to want to embrace this innovation uh, and the innovative spirit to the point that a lot of expats go and start up their own businesses or return overseas? Why do you think that is? Yeah, and I, it is a major challenge and it is, I think we are sitting in an incredible position as an Australian nation to capitalise on the skills and the knowledge, the networks, 
everything that are coming back. And just to put some numbers around that before I go on, um, we know, as I said at the beginning, that 400,000 Australians return. There are another 40,000 that are on their way back or trying to get back. Um, there was a recent report that looked at the breakdown of those 400,000. We know that nearly 19% or 76,000 people are currently trying to land their next role. We know that another 15% um, or 60,000 people are you know, endeavouring to build their own business or to consult. So that's about, give or take, uh, you know, a few thousand. It's about 140,000 people that have recently arrived home, positioning themselves in the market with international experience and knowledge and are there ready, willing and able to contribute. And so I think what we've got to do is help bridge that chasm you know, um, and it's something that I'm super passionate about, um, is about helping individuals equip themselves to tell their story with meaning and relevance to the market here today and to really advocate for the opportunity to the world of business that they have in, in tapping into some of this knowledge and skills. And why do people not do it? I think there's a whole host of reasons why do organisations not do it. I mean, it's a small market here. We can't change the fact that people have left large markets and are stepping into a small market. And so there's a little bit of patch protectiveness, I think, sometimes. You know, there's only so many, you know, senior jobs and people can feel very threatened by others coming in. So, again, that comes back to how do we tell our story so that it's not a threat, but it is actually about enabling and creating opportunity. I think we need to start telling some really good news stories about where and how um, former expats have contributed to you know industry to various businesses to economically and we've got to start showcasing it um so i think that that will help us do that but you know we have a the good old tall poppy syndrome here can be very cruel and it can be very cruel personally and professionally and so i think we need to take a good long hard look at how and where that's popping up um, and start engaging in some conversations that will eliminate that and I think we've got to get you know as Australians have got to get more curious around what that potential could look like and tap into that because not only do these people have knowledge and skills they've got networks they can actually say oh so you're a business that's looking to expand into Southeast Asia I've just come out of there I can help you do that really quickly I can introduce you to these five people and mm. that's how things happen really quickly. We've talked a lot about common themes or repats sort of share from their from their experiences. But if you had to summarize the top three things a recently returned expat or someone thinking about should focus on, particularly in that first three to six months, what would those three things be? Yeah. And I get asked this a lot. And so I talk about the three C's um, and they are consider connect and create. And when I say consider, I think it's first and foremostly really consider why is it that you are here? Why is it that you've come home? Invariably, expats return to Australia for pretty much every reason other than career. <laughs> and that is they've got aging parents, they've got, you know, a partner that may not wish to be overseas anymore. It could be kids entering a certain phase of school. It's lifestyle choices. So I think if they are your motivator and your driver, you need to be very anchored to those things because you need to be ready to embrace and work through the challenges that come. I think about also can, on the career front, consider what is it that you have in your skill set and in your story that is translatable. And then we've got to then go and connect with people 
who understand where you've come from, even if they don't understand the scale, but they understand what you've done. So the connect piece is really about finding purposeful and meaningful connections that can enable you to move forward. And so I think that's personally I think we need to find like-minded people who give us that um, sense of community um, that we can be a part of and contribute to, but it's also professionally. And I think that it's very difficult sometimes when you come back to find how and where to connect professionally. So that's a really big component of what I'm passionate about and building with the InSync community is an avenue in which to connect with other like-minded professionals because you need to understand from them, well, what's going on here in the market? You need to be educated on what's happening and you need to um, understand what the pressures are around the industries and the business and who the leaders are and what their style are. So you've got to get under the skin of that. You need help doing that. And the best way to do that is via connection. And then it is to create. And I think, you know, one of the things that expats do really well when they're overseas is they create new opportunities, you know, and be that um, travel, you know, personally, we jump on a plane and we go and explore somewhere new or, you know, we jump into different um, things that we would never do at home, you know, at home. You know, I think Bryce and um, both Ben talked about joining bands and, you know, doing these amazing things when they lived overseas. Continue to seek out and create opportunities that are new and fresh here in Australia because that's the sense that you, you've got this adventure growing here at home and you can have that, you know, you've, you've just got to continue to create it. You know, I think when I talk to people who return to the place that they've grown up in or the place that they, they have lived prior to going overseas, there is a sense that they get back and it's all same, same or, you know, it hasn't really moved on from where they were. And that's not, I don't mean that disrespectfully, it's just like it's all the same. So you've got to actively create new things, create new opportunities, join new things, um, because I think that's what we need, you know, to stimulate our mind and contribution. And, and I always say that we are all hardwired to contribute. We just got to know how and where, <laughs> um, because that's where our fulfilment and satisfaction comes from. I think we also underestimate when you live somewhere else for a large period of time, you actually change and your interests change yeah. and your mindset changes and you don't notice it, of course, because you never t spend time reflecting on it. It's only when you return home that you realise that mm. something that should feel like a good fit doesn't feel like a good fit. Mm, absolutely. And that's a key thing is, is that you you have changed. I mean, you can't go and live in different cultures and different countries and, you know, engage on things in a different way and not be changed by it. And so when we come back, I think that's the moment that it's glaringly obvious just how much we have changed and how much we have enjoyed the richness of, you know, a different culture and the nuances of that, or that we've actually now discovered a new love of something. I mean, when I was in London, I really you know, fell in love with design. And so when I came back here, I was like, oh my gosh, I, did, I hadn't even thought about it, you know. And so how am I going to actually fulfill that part of my new me? Um, and I went and enrolled in an interior design course and I did a few things that were just, you know, I said were just for fun, but I met a whole heap of new people. It connected me to local businesses and suppliers here in a way that I would never have normally done it. You know, so you you continue to seek out those things that play to the new you. 
Thinking about our next guests that we have coming up on the podcast, certainly there's a number of stories um, of people who've come back, had to pivot, but they're doing some really interesting and creative things as a result, um, which hopefully should be, I found them quite inspiring, so hopefully other people should find them inspiring too. In terms of what's coming up in 2021, we've obviously got the next podcast series nearly ready yep. um, to hit uh, hit send on. Um, what else is coming up for InSync? Yeah, well, hopefully it will be a return to face-to-face events or regular face-to-face events. We will continue with our online events, but we've also put together a membership for people to join, and that can be for a whole raft of, I suppose, reasons or motivations. It could be that, you know, I just want to connect with other like-minded people. And one of the things, I guess, that came out of last year is that, you know, it becomes quite borderless, you know. So we actually now have a community of people who are still sitting overseas, but who want to engage with others before they get home. Now they have a chance to do that. We've got people, you know, we've, I'm in Melbourne. I mean, our events to date have typically been held in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. We've now got avenues for people to connect from all over the country and for all motiv- all different reasons. Um, you know, it could be professional, it could be personal. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times people have said to me, Meg, I'm actually feeling all right on the on the job side now, but, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, meeting some people that I could go to footy with and have a beer with that are a bit like-minded. And so that could be the motivation for joining the network. But we've also built in some, you know, some targeted and strategic career advice and frameworks so that if people do want some help navigating that transition and the positioning and all those things, they can do it. And then I've, you know, there's also another level that really looks at, you know, how we work with organisations to help them maximise the retention of our expats returning because we know that one of the challenges is that people get back and then they rebound out, sorry, they bound out of their company because they need that next level of stimulation. So I think, you know, organisations are recognising the need also to really invest in their repatriates. So that's a little bit about the membership. You can check it out on the the website if if you're interested in any of that. Just on that, how would people connect with you? Yeah, um, so there's a number of ways. I mean, if you if you are not connected with InSync at all, I would suggest jumping onto the website um, and connecting there because that way you'll get all the information about our events, about our podcasts, um, about the things that we're doing. But you can connect with me directly and, and the best way to do that is probably via LinkedIn. So it's Margot Anderson, so Margot with a T and Anderson spelt E-N at the end. Um, connect with me directly drop me a note and sort of just give me a little bit of insight as to where you are and what you're doing and also um, we've got like you know all the social media pages so we've got the LinkedIn in sync page we've got the Facebook the Instagram etc so I would like to think that we're easily found we've just got to make sure that people know that we exist so um, so that people can come along and, and and be a part of what I think is an amazing community and keep listening to the podcasts. yes <laughs> yeah I've certainly really enjoyed all the people that we've met through the podcast and I guess because we do have that not along moments but also hearing, you know, people's stories of uh, living in Krakow, New York, Hong Kong, um, it's, yeah. it's very inspiring and very inspiring to see how people come home and translate that into doing some really exciting things here too. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I have to say that, I mean, I walk away energised and inspired um, after every single podcast and, and you know, in, in all my conversations with people because I just think that 
expats have done incredible things. They, as you said before, they've got get up and go. They've got a bit of spark and, you know, they've put themselves out of their comfort zone. And I think, you know, by and large, have been richly rewarded um, personally and professionally for doing so. They've got great stories to tell. Everyone loves a great story. Thank you, Margot. Thanks, Simone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.